Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM at 1160 AM. A government program that helps uninsured Americans afford COVID 19 testing and treatments is shutting down. Why? Because there's no money left. But what happened to the trillions of dollars we spent on COVID relief spending and prioritizing? Well, Eric Bain has a new, Dame has a new piece in Reason magazine about uh, what happened. Waste, fraud, and abuse, I think, is uh, on the horizon here. Eric, thanks for joining us today. And let's, uh, let's jump right in. Uh, give us the dollars and cents. And does any of this make sense uh, in terms of money that was allocated and, and where did all the money go? Well, thanks for having me. First of all, always good uh, to chat with you and and your listeners. Uh, This is, uh, I mean, you could call it waste, fraud, and abuse, but a lot of this is, you know, the the money went exactly where Congress sent it. Mm. Uh, They just sent it in places where where it shouldn't have gone, right? I mean, that's fundamentally the problem here. Congress is very bad at uh, budgeting, and that's that's doubly true or even maybe triply true in the middle of a crisis and an emergency when, when members of Congress just start throwing money at a problem. Uh, as you said at the top there, there's a, a program that was set up to help people who don't have health insurance afford uh, to pay for their you know COVID treatments, vaccines, uh, any and, and testing as well. The White House is now saying that they need about $22 billion in additional funds and emergency funds from Congress uh, to keep that program running past about mid-April is when it's going to run out. Uh, they had asked for that money to be included in the omnibus government spending bill that was passed by Congress last week, but Congress did not include that money. So now there's a question of whether there will be another attempt uh, to uh, to authorize that money. Now, $22 billion is a lot of money. Money, but when you stack that up next to the more than $5 trillion that Congress authorized in emergency COVID spending over the past two years, that's that's not normal government spending. That's just the excess money that Congress approved in multiple different bills over the past two years, uh, supposedly COVID relief bills, $5 trillion. And, and yet one of the programs that is actually a COVID relief program uh, is now going to run out of money. Uh, but of course, we had hundreds of billions of dollars to throw it at lots of unrelated things. Oh, so many things to say. <laughs> we 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 could entitle this segment and another thing, <laughs> uh, <laughs> including yeah. the 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 big bill that was passed last week. That uh, now that uh, earmarks have reemerged once again, I believe there were somewhere close to four thousand uh, specific earmarks uh, loaded into that bill that I'm sure nobody nobody read. Uh, but as you as you look at that, I love that you just the contrast of uh, how much has been spent and allocated, uh, and now we're you know twenty two billion. It does make twenty two billion sound really small uh, in terms of the overall thing. But this is actually a program that that actually does things. It actually does provide some of those services. Uh, so so what is likely to happen next? 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned earmarks because, yes, Congress brought back earmarks in that omnibus bill that passed last week. And you're right. There were about 4,000 of them. Most people didn't look at them. Most members of Congress probably didn't know what was in there because the text of the bill was released about two days before it was passed. It was passed all the way through Congress and to the president's desk in about uh, a little more than two days. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. 4,000 some earmarks in there. Uh, we looked at a bunch of them. I looked at a bunch of them and wrote them up for, for Reason.com. Your, your listeners can find them there. Uh, the estimated total value of all those earmarks is somewhere around $8 billion. Uh, that means we're spending money on things like a, uh, we're, we're building a new, <laughs> a new ski jump. In New Hampshire, there's going to be a Palo Alto History Museum in California. Three million dollars goes to that, even though, you know, Palo Alto is home to some of the richest people in the country. I could assume they could get some private funding for that. Uh, All sorts of of ridiculous uh, things. There's a there's a grant in there to uh, make sure that the shellfish industry in New Hampshire is more equitable in the future uh, that goes to Roger Williams University. So Congress has all sorts of, of, you know, ways to spend money on or has the means to spend money on all of these things. Uh, You can't scrape together the money to keep a a program that's helping people in the middle of a pandemic running. Uh, And this all just goes back to what I said at the beginning, which is this is about setting priorities. That's the only thing that governments really have to do, right? There are a finite amount of resources to spend and a government has to decide how best to allocate them. And Congress is consistently so bad at doing this. And it is shocking. And it's especially shocking when you look at uh, the contrast of, you know, a program like this that's running out of money. Uh, at the same time that we're throwing money at all sorts of earmarks uh, after two years where we threw over over eight hundred billion dollars at state and local governments, even though most of them did not experience a significant budget hit due to the pandemic. Uh, after we threw uh, something like 80 billion dollars at colleges and universities, some of that money is being used for things completely unrelated to covid there's almost no accountability for how colleges and universities are using that money. There are very few strings attached to it. Uh, and, and yet the, like the actual COVID relief portion of the COVID relief bills is the thing that, that doesn't get funded. Uh, it really should, it really should infuriate people because this is just the most basic thing that Congress has to do and they've completely dropped the ball here. Yeah. And, and it's amazing to me that we, you know, we, we end up with these massive bills, all these earmarks in there and, and then it becomes this, this debate. You have a member of Congress who says, well, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to vote for all of that. Uh, and so they vote no, but then of course the narrative is, oh, well, they, you know, they voted, uh, against helping Ukraine or they voted against, you know, puppies or grandma. Uh, and, <laughs> right, right. And so suddenly we have this different narrative where if everybody was forced to read the bill and know what was actually in there, if we actually had, uh, to your point of, you know, doing this in about a 48 hour period, uh, there's no way anyone could have even read the 2,700 pages of that bill, let alone understood what was what was in there. Uh, give me a perspective, uh, real quick, Eric, in terms of okay, we've talked about all of this spending, uh, and now we're looking at these inflation rates. How is all this spending contributing uh, to the current inflation rate? Uh, and we can't blame that on Vladimir Putin either. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, that's another factor here is that the uh, the White House, now their latest uh, attempt at that scapegoating inflation is to point to Vladimir Putin. Uh, look, I'm not here to defend Vladimir Putin, right? I think the invasion of Ukraine is completely unjustified. It's horrific. It's like this this war is, is an economic and humanitarian disaster. Uh, and, and yes, it has, over the last few weeks, contributed to a, a significant spike in gas prices. Um, but the, the White House now is attempting to pin 
like all of the inflation that we've seen over the past year on Putin's actions of the past three weeks. And that uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, I think when you look at you know it, it, what, what economists were saying, go back to last spring when the American Rescue Plan was passed, which was the latest of those. We started off the, the section here by talking about the, the big stimulus programs that were passed during the uh, during the pandemic, five trillion some dollars overall. Uh, about 1.9 trillion of that was in the American Rescue Plan, which was passed in March of last year. And uh, economists across the board at the time said this is a recipe for inflation. Larry Summers, who was the uh, Treasury Secretary during the Obama administration, I mean, this guy's not a Republican, right? He's not trying to uh, he's not trying to stand uh, and and stop the White House, the, the Biden administration, from doing what it wants to do. Uh, but he said this was it was too much money. It was going to be a recipe for inflation in the long run, and uh, that's exactly what we're seeing now. So uh, the White House has to take some responsibility for that. Congress has to take some responsibility yeah. for that. You don't see you don't see any of that. I mean, these guys never want to take responsibility for the things that they've that they've done or failed to do. Um, and uh, and it's just every problem is something that can be solved by throwing more money at it. And that's you know I guess except the, except the couple problems that you actually could solve right. by throwing some money at it, like a program for people who can't afford COVID treatments. We don't have money for that, I guess. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we don't have money for the things that will, uh, which were actually the things we were supposed to be using that money for, uh, just never quite gets, gets there. And then, uh, the perpetual problem of just having members of Congress and administrations of both sides will be equal opportunity offenders here, uh, just shrugging their shoulders. Not my job, not my fault, pointing fingers, placing blame. Uh, what we really need is some shoulder squaring uh, and some real accountability in front of the American people in terms of where we are and, and what the impact of all this spending really is. Uh, Eric Bain is a reporter for Reason. You can check out all of this on at Reason.com. Uh, it's a great way to get the right perspective. And as we always say, it's uh, shining that light. And Eric, we appreciate you shining that light uh, because it both illuminates what we need to see and it also disinfects uh, a lot of the bad things happening back in our nation's capital. Eric, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. All right, we're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, women are less likely per- to pursue STEM careers. But with all the talent shortages across the country, we need them more than ever. Jerry Larson from U-Science is going to join us next to talk about how we give women, especially young women, more opportunities in a wide range of careers. Stay with us. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.